Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Well, lots of different conversations coming out around BRICS. One of our key sectors to our economy, as you know, is the agricultural sector, the production of food, agro-processing, in other words, taking the maize, making it into bread, all of that sort of stuff. Does maize make bread? I'm not sure now, suddenly. Um, But all of that is really important to our economy, and there's been big developments around all of that. If you were BRICS and you were going to appoint a new chairperson of the BRICS Agri-Business Working Group, who would you appoint? I know who I would appoint. In fact, he's on the radio now. Wandile Sechlobo, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Um, some big important agreements signed uh, with China around beef and avocados this week. A bigger BRICS now as well. Some of these countries, everyone talks about how you know Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, exports uh, oil. But they also import food and lots of it. Uh, uh, with what's going on now with BRICS, with everything that's happened this week, is that a bit of a boost for our agriculture sector, more scope for exports? I think, Stephen, we view it positively from purely an agricultural economic perspective. Uh, because you may remember, we went in there and in various conversations that we have had where I sit at the BRICS Business Council, uh, they were thinking about how do we uh, expand the export of our agricultural produce? Because we must always Stephen, remember that we are a country that, as we speak today, exports roughly half of our produce in value terms. And when we look over the next 10 years, our exports in volumes could increase by 50% from the volumes we have. And we're thinking about how do we diversify exports while retaining the existing ones in the US, EU, and elsewhere. Then I think the BRICS offered that opportunity for conversation. And of course, with additional countries, Saudi Arabia being very important when we're thinking about the exports. And I think all of this um, is, is positive for us. 50%, that's a huge amount of scope. And agriculture employs a large number of people, which is really what we need. Absolutely. I mean, at a primary sector, you have just under 900,000 people that are there. And in agro-processing, it's around about 450,000 people that are there. So you're looking, give or take, just over 1.3 million people that are there. And then if we could bring um, then additional production in the coming years, and uh, fellow South Africans on the call will know, I mean, we, we may bring into production for all range of crops and livestock roughly around about 2.5 million hectares, new plantings that may come into production over the next 10 years. And I think that will be for exports. But I must stress that as we speak, yes, there are those markets that you talked about. But I think the big achievement um, this past week was all of the BRICS countries agreeing that, look, we need to deepen trade in as far as the agricultural products beyond where we are. Because as things stand, Stephen, as the agricultural sector, we haven't benefited fully from trade with the BRICS countries. When you look at what we export a year, take last year, it was about $12.8 billion. And the BRICS countries were only 8% of that. 40% was still the African continent, 20% the EU, and of course, Middle East and Asia taking the other share of that. So the question now is say, how do we deepen in trade? And I think that framework and that conversation is there. But of course, then the technical work and the ministers and the engagements is something that needs to follow through beyond the big headlines. 
One of the things about agriculture is that you can have big uh, announcements, you know, bricks, you expect us, that then we have a lot more markets to access. But occasionally you get situations where people will say, yes, you can access our markets, and then they'll use a different reason, a safety reason. It's actually got a different word, I think, phytosanitary or something, that they'll say, no, your avocados aren't good enough. Uh, the EU does this all the time. They technically say that we can sell our oranges to Spain, to, to the European Union. Spain has a huge citrus injury, I- industry, and they usually wrongly and immorally in my view Wandile will claim no we saw a black spot on one of your oranges and so you can't sell them here so yes legally you can sell them but in the end you can't is that something we need to worry about with BRICS nations as well that has been a major headache Stephen when you're thinking about global trade of agricultural produce because people could say look we will lower the tariffs then use all kinds of non-tariff barriers as you rightly say it phytosanitary issues and any other biological mechanism where they can actually block your products from entering that market. So that has been an issue with the with the EU, but I believe right now there is a productive conversation between our authorities and the EU authorities. But this is also what has prompted us to say, let's diversify our scope of markets, because if we're already experiencing problems in the current markets, and we have roughly 2 million hectares where we say, let's develop a new crop of black farmers that will actually be at a commercial level and exports. We need to make sure that there is demand so that a demand pool approach in agriculture is there. But the beauty about some of the uh, BRICS countries, uh, you were talking about Saudi Arabia before we came on air, there there isn't um, production really at a significant scale. So such the measures will not be used uh, against you. And when you look at the profile about of what they buy and the Saudis spend on average 21 billion US dollars importing agricultural products, there's a lot that we could send in that market. We're already doing something about beef. And in China and India, in the opening session at the BRICS Business Forum, this issue of phytosanitary issues, we raised it there, but also with our colleagues at the Business uh, Council's working group, these are issues that we have dealt with to say, look, guys, we, we have to be looking at these things and see how we elevate them at a political level and government level so that they are resolved and ease trade amongst ourselves. Wendelia, there's another issue, if you don't mind, that I'd just like to sidetrack us a little bit out uh, on, because I know you've been writing about it. I think you, your book is called A Country of Two Agricultures. It's about transformation and agriculture. And I read a few days ago about how water works. Obviously, you can't farm without water. Only 5% of the, this is what I read, only 5% of the water in our rivers is used by what I call, what, what are called emerging farmers. So in other words, if I've understood it correctly, 95% of water used for irrigation is used by farms owned by white people or white companies. Is that true? I mean, that's a very scary number. It's always difficult, Stephen, to get a grip of of these numbers. Uh, But let me put it in perspective very quickly for you. If you look at the commercial output in South Africa's agriculture that is produced by black farmers, it's roughly around about 10% or slightly less on average, putting everything together. Now, when you look at that commercial output by black farmers, and then you compare it with the numbers you're talking about, the water situation, it kind of uh, makes sense uh, to an extent. But of course, the number may need a slight adjustment upwards. But the point there is that then, how do you bring the new crop of commercial farm, of commercial black farmers? The 2 million hectares that I was talking about, not all of it arable, some maybe for livestock, but then paired that along with the water rights, because the issue is not only the competition being the white farmers are taking all of the water rights, we also have some legislative issues that needs to be done to ease the application 
The other day, Stephen, a few weeks back, I was up in Limpopo in some villages there. And the stories I hear over and over from black farmers there were around this issue. And that is a beautiful area to do avocados, leeches, nuts, and they were complaining about the water issue. So both hands have to work on to this. But I will close it by saying the recent water regulations, which were published by our colleagues at the Department of Water and Sanitation, perhaps need a revisit because I didn't think they considered the realities of farming viably in South Africa. Do you think that agriculture is ever going to transform? It seems to have hardly transformed. Stephen, we always have to remain hopeful. I mean, just yesterday I was with farmers and cereals, and the key thing there that we were all talking about was how do we do transformation by not only relying on government, but large white commercial farmers coming into the table, not with their will and their voice only, but with resources. So if you work in rural South Africa, like I do, the conversation is happening. People are looking for ways of doing it. And there are good examples of success. Pels down there in the Western Cape and in the east of Mpumalanga and Free State, they are already doing stuff like this. The Senate group in the Free State, they are doing a lot of, of, of admirable work on this. So there are pockets of excellence, but it's about how do we learn the commonalities that have made them to be where they are and then replicate that. And by the way, this is not to advertise on SAFM, but those are some of the issues that even the book that comes out next week deals with some of those things. Wandile Seklobo, thank you. Author and chair of the BRICS Agri-Business Working Group.